Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Sunday of the month. And so, uh, what a beautiful thing. You know, our relationship with God has always and should be always built with first. He loved us first before we ever loved Him. That's why we ought to first love Him. That's why we ought to decide this coming year, 2022, that we're going to go to God first with our problems. We're going to pray first in the morning before we start our day. We're going to honor God with the first fruits. So much in the Scripture talks about giving God the first. Those farmers, you know, they would get that crop. and They'd get ten big baskets of apples. And he'd say, son, that one basket there, that's for God. We're not even going to touch that. As the book of Leviticus says, it is holy unto the Lord. And I'm not going to touch that for sure. I want to encourage all of us to, and for those of you online, I want to encourage you to dedicate the first day of the week before you do anything else. I want to serve the Lord together in church. And if you can be in person, I hope you will. In person is incredible. It's also very biblical to be together with God's people. There's plenty of time for work, folks. There's plenty of time for getting stuff and going here and there. Let's put God first on the first day of the week. Tell you what, when you put God's work, God's word, and God first, God's blessings will blow, flow on your life. Thank God for that. And so, also on behalf of our deacons, our entire staff, and our pastors, it is our prayer for each of you and for those of our online family. May this new year bring you happiness and peace and a godly prosperity, a soul prosperity, a health prosperity, and yes, financial person. And so we're looking forward to uh, starting this new year. It's going to be a good year. I think if we just set out and say, you know what, it's going to be a good year for the Lord. And uh, it may be at times, like the old hymn, it is well with my soul. It may not always be well with the things around us, but thank the Lord, it's going to be a good year on the inside. And so we begin by uh, this year, as we've done for several years now, is... Uh, to start the year on the book of Revelation. This morning, Revelation Revealed. And our topic this morning is the first part of chapter 12, Israel Uniquely Loved by God. The exciting book of Revelation. Now, uh, by God's grace, we have gotten through over half the book. And uh, this year's goal will be to get through chapters 12, 13, these chapters are the original Star Wars. And everybody loves Star Wars. No book of the Bible is more relevant to today's world. Any Christian with even a little discernment knows and senses that there is a growing opposition 
against God and anything that's righteous. Ultimately, and let me say eminently, the church of God faces a very rough road. Persecution from the world and a powerful seduction into the world is coming. Praise the Lord. We don't have to be part of that. God has given us a roadmap called the book of Revelation. Now many believers, sadly, either neglect or tragically misunderstand these signs. They'll listen to some Hollywood movie or some kind of wacko personality there and they'll not actually study the Bible. I believe there are two prophetical problems in the church today. The first one are the Dodgers. No, not the Los Angeles Dodgers. Although some of you probably don't like them either. The Dodgers are those that just simply avoid the book of Revelation. It seems weird to them or not relevant. And then they're not only the Dodgers, but there's the distorters. They're even worse. They either think they understand the book of Revelation and, of course, don't, or they develop kind of a bunker mentality or are driven by some kind of personal gain. And there's always somebody that are telling you they are got a truth that nobody else has. Well, I will tell you, if somebody says that, just smile at them and say, that's interesting because even Jesus doesn't know when the rapture is. The Bible says in His human body, because the Bible says only the Father knows the day and the hour of our Lord's return. But it is eminent, and it is more close than we've ever been. And we are sure of this. The devil does not want you to understand or to appreciate the book of Revelation. Why? Because in the book of Revelation, we all of his nasty secrets are revealed. And he doesn't like it because we see that we're winners. And we have victory. Just like we sang here this morning. We declare your name is victory. And so the devil doesn't like the book of Revelation because in this book, he is defeated. He is defeated by a lamb. That must be embarrassing for him. But he is he is defeated. And so we are in for a wonderful journey. Now, if for no other reason, this next five weeks would be a blessing to you, it's all about Jesus. Because that's what the book of Revelation is. If you read, go to the first uh, page there of the book of Revelation. It's not just revelations, by the way. It's revelation. And it says the revelation or the revealing of Jesus Christ. And so the book is all about Jesus. How could that be a bad thing? And so if you have a kind of an idea, oh, the book of Revelation is kind of weird or spooky, well, just stop right there and say it's all about Jesus. That'll maybe help you get a different idea. The people of Israel, keep your eyes on Israel because they are God's chosen people. And these are dangerous days for God's chosen people. The storm clouds are gathering. The lightning is flashing. And the lightning rod is Israel. We read headline stories weekly about the only democratic nation in the entire Middle East. The people of Israel. Just two days ago, headlines were New York's far-left assemblyman, Ocasio-Cortez, had a staffer who baselessly said, Israel is a racist 
European ethnostate built on stolen land. And that is the idea that so many have about Israel. Israel is in 100% of all Bible prophecies. The entire scripture points to what God is going to do with this wife of his, as he calls Israel, a wife that he has never divorced. Israel is a land of destiny. As the Jew goes, so goes the world. Israel is God's yardstick. And so what he is doing in the world is often measured by what's happening in Israel. The end of the world. Humorous Mark Twain said, when the end of the world comes, I want to be in Kentucky because there are always 20 years behind everything. Actually, I think that sounds a little bit more like Washington, D.C., I would say. But the, the fact of the matter is, though, if we are born again, we are not afraid of the end of the world. We say, bring it. Hallelujah. Even so, come quickly. And I love what our evangelist Tom Harmon said. Things aren't falling apart. They're just falling into place. And so we are looking forward to the coming of our Lord. Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer as we enter into this season for the next five weeks. Let's dedicate it to the Lord. Let's give us, ask God to give us ears to hear. Father, I thank you. You said, Lord, that if a person is wise, they'll have ears to hear. Lord, help us to lay aside all worldly concepts. Lord, all error. And Lord, help us to love the pure word. Lord, your word is pure. Lighten in the eyes. It converts the soul. Lord, thank you for rejoicing on it. Now I pray that each one, Lord, both those that are here, those that are listening live stream, and those in the days to come who will listen to this later, that God, you would give each of us a look into your word, an understanding, and an appreciation of your love for Israel. In Jesus' name, amen. Has God turned his back on Israel? Almost seems like it sometimes. Has God forgotten the promise that He made to Abraham those thousands of years ago? Absolutely not. The wonderful Old Testament prophet, broken-hearted pastor, Jeremiah, in chapter 31, here he reassured a captive nation. He said, I know that the captivity is bad, but we're going back home. This, of course, had a bigger and a longer term viewpoint than just those few years there, five, six hundred years before Christ. He said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God loves Israel. He has never ignored and never will give up on his beloved Israel. Now here in chapter 12, we have a blueprint for Israel's future. Therefore, our future. Now one Observation as we begin, if you attend or believe and would maybe classify yourself as an evangelical, back uh, 30, 40 years ago, that might have had a little different meaning. But today, the idea is uh, an evangelical is somebody who is a gospel-preaching church. Now, within that big tent, there's different groups, but uh, basically it means, it should mean, that you are a Bible-believing person. And a little bit more clarification there. It means you are a literalist. Now, when you're a literalist, 
then you have to take Scripture for literally what it says. That's called interpreting the Bible. Now, let me give you what is known as the golden rule of interpretation. Because this will help us as we go to the book of Revelation. Because, obviously, as you'll begin, uh, as you know, or as you begin hearing, there's a lot of signs in it. The golden rule of interpretation is this. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. There you go. That's the golden rule of interpretation. If it says a hundred, it's a hundred, unless it's very obvious that it's not meaning a hundred. It's a sign. When Jesus said, I am the door, it obviously didn't mean he was a wooden or a metal door swinging on hinges. It meant he was an entrance or an access to something. And so, in that case, uh, we would take uh, more of a metaphorical idea of it. And so, that sense, we will just take Scripture for what it says. It will make the common sense, unless it's obvious it's not. Now, the book of Revelation is a book of signs. Some are clearly explained. In fact, not only clearly explained, but oftentimes even validated by Scripture, as we'll see here. Others, you have to kind of investigate a little bit. And when you do so, it becomes clear, oh, that's very likely what this means. And then there are a few places, frankly, in the book of Revelation where nobody can be absolutely 100% sure what it's saying. We can't penetrate the meaning in those moments. But we can stack back in awe and appreciate the message. Maybe not penetrate the meaning, Thank God we can appreciate the message. Now, there are three important facts we need to know about Israel, and we'll see them today. First of all, Israel is favored by God. And so let's read together verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. All right, let's read it begin. Let's read it together. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, prevailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Now, who is this woman, this lady, clothed with the sun? Well, right up front, we already know this is a wonderful picture. A woman clothed with the sun? Well, it has to be an illustration. This truly, as it says here, is a wonder. This is the original wonder woman right here. A great wonder. By the way, that phrase in the Greek is mega. This is a mega wonder. Every aspect of this vision is a mega vision. It is a sign. I recall a few years ago, well, I guess it's been a few decades ago, when uh, one of the first few times I drove into Stockton coming northbound on 99 freeway there, coming down there a little bit north of Manteca, seeing some signs and said Stockton, next seven exits or something like that. And I thought, wow, that's impressive. That was a sign. And you'd come to the next sign, it would say uh, East Stockton. It would say Central Stockton. It would say North Stockton. All of these were signs. Now, each of those signs were it was a literal sign and it was talking about a literal reality, but in and of itself it wasn't Stockton. That sign that I saw wasn't Stockton. It was a 
It was a signboard that pointed to a literal reality. And so you can be a literalist and still believe in signs because the sign points to a literal reality. Who is then this literal person, this woman that's in heaven? Well, first of all, let's uh, remind ourselves of who she is not. First of all, she is not the Virgin Mary. She is not the Virgin Mary. Now, if you were to go into some cathedral, and maybe even St. Mary in downtown Stockton, I'm not sure. There are many places where you will find there in those cathedrals where they have stained glass. Now, the Roman church would have us to believe that Mary is the woman here in Revelation chapter 12 because they have a false doctrine known as the Assumption of Mary. The Assumption of Mary is supposedly that she did not die like everybody else. She didn't get raptured. She just kind of got assumed into heaven. That's called the Assumption of Mary. And even worse than that, the Roman church would have us to think that because of that, she now is a co-mediator with Christ. And in fact, it is probably the wise thing to do to pray to Mary, who will pray to Jesus, who will talk to the Father. All of that, of course, is false doctrine. Mary was absolutely an amazing, godly woman. All you have to do is read Scripture to know and see that was a beautiful thing. But this woman, in verse number 1, cannot be a literal woman because for one reason, and though there are numerous verses I think we could go to, we could just stay in the same passage and get an idea this is not a literal woman like Mary. Because look what it says in verse number 6. You just kind of scroll down there and look down at verse number 6. It says, she flees into the wilderness. Mary fleeing into the wilderness. Read through the Gospels. Do you see anywhere in the Gospels where it says that Mary fled into the wilderness? None. And so we would say right up front that no, this is not a literal person, certainly not Mary. There are actually four women, symbolic women, in the book of Revelation. Too bad, too good. Now, God is not sexist. He's not just saying that women are bad. It's just that, of course, women are beautiful. They have an allurement to them. Two of them are bad. First one is in chapter 2. She's called Jezebel. She was a particular person or at least a doctrine in the early church, a corrupt, sinful teacher of paganism who was just spoiling that local church there. Then in chapter 17, the scarlet woman, also known as the harlot. This is the apostate church who had sold out and uh, given in to the wickedness of the world and abandoned scripture. And then there is a third one who is a good one. And that is in chapter 19. She's called the wife of the lamb. That is in fact the church, his bride. Jesus loves his bride. Of course he does. Every man loves his bride. And uh, certainly we ought to love the thing that God loves, his bride. The fourth woman in the book of Revelation is found here in chapter 12. Who is this woman? As we'll see in just a moment, is in fact Israel. The second person this woman is not is the church. Now the church is an amazing, wonderful, biblical institution. Jesus founded the church. It wasn't a man-made doctrine. He founded it himself. Throughout Scripture, the church is called the Bride of Christ. And you'll notice in these, this passage here in chapter 12 that the woman 
gives birth to a child who we'll see in a moment, none other than Jesus. And so that couldn't then be the church because Jesus actually gave birth to the church, not Mary. So we see that in this passage. Now, I will add a third one, although we don't put it in your outline here. And that is, she is uh, this mega sign here. It's not the church. and It's not the Virgin Mary. And even though, probably don't need to mention it, this is not Mary Baker Eddy. You'd say, who in the world is Mary Baker Eddy? Well, some of the older folks may uh, remember that name. She is the founder of a church of science. Church scientist, uh, kind of the forerunner of Scientology. Sometimes you go down to downtown cities, and oftentimes you'll see it says Church of Christ Scientist or Christian Science. Funny thing, because it's really neither. It's neither Christianity, and it's certainly not good science. The idea is it is a mind control cult. Here's the interesting thing. She said that she was that woman in Revelation chapter 12. And... Uh, she had been. She was the custodian for the keys to the truth of Scripture. Well, it didn't really work out real well because uh, she, uh, her child didn't become. Even she had had a child. I'm not sure, but her child didn't wasn't Jesus, and she died like everybody else. And so uh, we know it's not her. Who then is this woman? Well, we get a major clue. I think when we see the imagery, look what it says here in verse number one. <clears throat> the woman was clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, her head a crown of twelve stars. That's some very unique uh, image, isn't it? Well, those that remember the book of Genesis, chapter 37, verse number 9, can know this is a very, very accurate description of Joseph. You remember Joseph? He was called of God, and God was going to help him and bless him, and he had uh, 11 brothers, and in that vision that God gave him, those sheaves would bow down to him. Also in that vision, I'll read this verse, he dreamed yet another dream, and he told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream even more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. Joseph's father, Jacob, who at the time recognized this was God choosing and blessing that through Joseph and his lineage would be the great line of Christ. And eventually, Joseph did in fact do just that. He rose to prominence in Egypt. He was blessed of God. Favored. Favored. And these two verses here are showing us the favor of God on the people of Israel. As a nation, as a culture, as a people group, as a family... Israel is the only nation on earth that inhabits the same land, bears the same name, speaks the same language, has the same holy book, the scripture it did 3,000 years ago. Israel is uniquely blessed of God. Now look at verse number 2. She, you're getting the sense that this is in fact Israel, she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. So now this woman, we see, is not only just a woman, but she is, in fact, a mother. And there's something she's in pain about. There's going to be a great pain to her soul, not only even in the birth, but if she sees what's going to happen. And that is 
the bringing forth of a child. And it's not too hard to figure out who this child is. In fact, Mary gave birth to Jesus, our Savior, who was to come and rule the world. How did he rule the world? Well, look at verse number 5 of this chapter. It says that it's going to be a child who would rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who would be that one? Well, we know that in fact, Israel has always been awaiting a ruler. One who would come and be the Messiah and the conqueror. Who would eventually put down Satan and sin and death. And who would set up a promised kingdom. How grateful we are today that God gave us a conqueror, gave us a Messiah through the people of Israel. A fact validated by the book of Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew chapter 27, hear the words of Jesus himself. Jesus stood before the governor. The governor asked him, saying, Are thou the king of the Jews? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus answered unto him, Thou sayest. He was birthed as both king and savior. Folks, Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. He is the Jewish king. Jesus is our Jewish savior to us, Gentiles. Sometimes I'll read and you'll even hear yourself personally or maybe talk to someone who is Jewish and they say, you know, you Christians should not try to proselytize Jews. We have our own religion. Well, the truth is, the Jews proselytized us because we serve a Jewish Messiah. And I'm thankful for it that Jesus came and gave us the truth of God, that He is a God-ordained, God-called, God-protected, and God-blessed people, a favored nation. Now, why did God do that? God did that because... He knew that this nation would be good stewards. That's what he told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 3. That to all the world they would be blessed. Pastor Luke a few moments ago mentioned about stewardship. and We're calling this month Biblical Stewardship Month as a reminder that everything we have we're to be a good steward with. That's what Israel did with the truth of God. They were good stewards. Look at this verse. He said, I'm going to bless them that bless me. Was just uh, God just blessed the Israelites just because of their, some kind of privilege, because of the color of their skin or whatever? No, not at all. Here is the privilege that God gave them. I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee, and in thee, meaning Abraham, he was the father of the Jews, shall all the nations of the world be blessed. How is it possible that all the world has been blessed because of Israel? Well, there's a practical side to that. Many of the vaccinations, many of the medicines, many of the technological advances come from Israel. They have more Nobel Prize winners. They have more money. It's just amazing. The favor of God on that nation. But really, these verses are meaning more than just that practical they're meaning the fact that every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every person, as we sung a few moments ago, we're going to say, thank God for Jesus who came to Abraham, who came to the tribe of Judah. That's why they're called Jews today. I hold in my hand 
We hold, we have in our lives a Jewish book called the Bible. We have a Jewish Messiah called the Lord Jesus Christ. And anybody who comes against the Jews, not only is it foolish and anti-Semitic and anti-biblical, it is just flat dangerous. Don't mess with God's people. And anybody who supports Israel, blessings will come. I am thankful for the boldness of our former president who moved the United States Embassy to Jerusalem. You'd say, why is that such a big thing? Well, folks, that's just one step closer to what the Bible says, that Jerusalem will be the city of the great, uh, the great king in that last day. The Bible mentions Jerusalem more than any other place in the Bible. Almost 900 times the Lord Jesus has chosen Jerusalem. In Psalm 132 it says, For the Lord hath chosen Zion, another name for Jerusalem. He hath desired it for His habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. God's people are to love Israel. In fact, in Psalm 137 it says, If I forget Israel, uh, that would be a terrible thing for me. We ought to exalt it above our joy. That's where Israel's kings ruled and temples stood. Jerusalem is at the center of every prophetic prediction. Worldwide peace comes to Jerusalem. Blessing comes to Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where the Messiah comes. That's why David called it in Psalm 48, the city of the great king. The great king. There are kings, but there's only one great king. You know, archaeologists have often wondered, why Jerusalem? Why, why is it such a great place? Why does everybody fight over Jerusalem? Why is it on everybody's radar? Really, it is. Uh, there's no rivers close by, at least not big ones. There's no, it's not a great harbor. Uh, it's not the crossroads of any trade routes. Uh, there's no material riches. It's actually hard to get there. There is no reason why Jerusalem should be what it is. It should have been just some anonymous little uh, mountainous village that maybe even went off into extinction. No, there's something unique favored by, is, by Jerusalem. It has nothing that all the major cities have. It is a chosen city. But not only is it a chosen city, it is for a chosen people. Look what Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6 says. Thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. You talk about privilege? Well, there you go. It is the Jewish people. There's no other group, language, uh, color of skin, whatever. None of those have privilege. No. If, there's, if there is such a thing, I will tell you, it is the Jewish people. All evangelical, Bible-believing Christians need to love Israel. Pray for Israel. Pray for it to be saved and protected. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 10. He said, it is my heart's desire and love for Israel is that they might be saved. I want them to be saved. I want them to truly know that their Messiah is, in fact, Jesus Christ. If there's any nation Satan would love to destroy, it's Israel. If there's any group that Satan would love to 
to destroy and to hurt. It would be the people of God. And just for that reason alone, we love Israel. So Israel is favored by God. And we see this in this amazing vision here. All right? There's a second fact here about Israel in the tribulation period. Not only is it favored by God, and thank God it is because it would go into extinction if it wasn't. It is fought by Satan. It is fought by Satan. There's always a fight going on around Israel. God has always delivered the Jews from one enemy or another. If it wasn't the Babylonian Empire, it was the Persians. If it wasn't the Persians, it was the Greek Hellenists. If it wasn't them, it was the Romans. And then it was the Byzantine Empires. Then it was the Islam Empire, the Ottoman Empire, even the Christian Crusaders, and in fact, even the British Empire. Everybody tried to conquer Israel. But... God always protects it. Look at verse 3. And there appeared another wonder. Revelation 12 and verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon. Alright, here we go. A wonder woman and a dreadful dragon. Now, it's all symbolism. Notice what happens. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his seven heads. And his tail grew the third part of the stars of heaven. And did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered. For devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child. To rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And so the woman, the wonder woman, the mega vision is Israel. An enemy now is portrayed very dramatically in the sky. A dragon. Ooh. Dragon, that sounds scary. It is. You know, it's interesting. Satan, who is oftentimes seen as a serpent here, is now viewed as a red dragon. A dragon, a ferocious animal. Scripture often talks about the dragon. For example, in Psalm 91 and verse number 13, Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon. Thou shalt trample under the feet. You'd say, what is a dragon? Well, probably some sort of a, literally, some sort of a, uh, this is a symbolic one, but literally it was probably some dinosaur. All the dinosaurs were on the ark. They were there, maybe in a little egg form or some other form. But they, many of them went into extinction because of all kinds of things going on in the world. And even today, animals go out of extinction. And so there were these dragons. People say, fire-breathing dragons, as Scripture say? No. Hey, folks, there are fire-breathing beetles right now that shoot out little chemicals that are like fire. I mean, it doesn't surprise us. But this dragon, which this is a symbol of, by the way, I wouldn't be surprised if some of those dragons are still around at the bottom of some of those uh, trenches in the ocean. Wow. But at any rate, um, we're actually told what this sign is, so we don't have to guess. Because in verse number 9, we're told, Revelation 12 and verse 9, the great dragon that was cast out is the old serpent called the devil, Satan, just in case you want to know who deceives the whole earth. And so we see this dragon who is actually Satan with some symbolism. Notice the dragon is red. Almost always in Scripture when something is red, uh, the picture of it is almost always concerning blood. This dragon is a killer. It is a violent killer. 
in John chapter 8, verse number 44, Jesus said about Satan, Ye are of your father, the devil, the lust of your father, he, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. In the tribulation period, violence will exponentially increase. Folks, nobody has to even think twice to know that the, world, the America we live in now is a violent place. Every major city in America 2021 set records for murders and violent crime. I mean, you, it, you have to think twice before even going to our lovely city over here in the Bay. Now, uh, spending a day there. I mean, folks, it is absolutely crazy. And what's even more nutty to me is all the while crazy looters are screaming, defund the police. No, I think we ought to defend the police is what I think we ought to do. But at any rate, it's going to be a, a violent place. Blood. Then it says seven heads. Well, a head, meaning a head of state, uh, someone who is a, uh, a leader. Seven is a symbolic number for complete. So think about this. Complete rule over the people. Socialists will get their heart's desire. All personal freedom will be gone. You never get to make a decision, even what to think. And not far from what they want us to do now. Seven rulers, uh, sevenfold complete ruler over everything that's going on. Ten horns. In Scripture, a horn represents strength, power, like an animal. Their horns are used to, to defend themselves and as weapons. And in verse 12, we're told again what this symbolism is. Again, we don't have to guess. The ten horns which you saw are the ten kings. So then, here's what God is saying. God is saying that in the final days, Israel is going to be attacked by a confederacy of ten fold horns and seven complete heads of state. It is going to, these are going to absolutely just overrun Israel. Now look at verse number four. Now we kind of take a look back for a few moments. What God is saying is, this is nothing new. This has been around for many years. Look at verse 4. And his tail, this dragon, Satan, drew a third part of the stars of heaven. The stars of heaven? You know, you go to Hollywood, you find a star on the ground. What kind of stars are we talking about here? This is the, uh, is this part of uh, Elon Musk's, uh, you know, satellite constellation? No. Although they are falling to earth once in a while. It says that these stars fall to the earth. Actually, what he's talking about here is a third of the angels who follow Lucifer, who is in fact Satan, in the original rebellion. That is described very graphically in Isaiah chapter 14, where we have the five I wills of Satan. There in Isaiah 14, he says in verse 12, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will be like the Most High. By the way, just a note. When we're bragging and saying, I will, I will, I will, we sound more like Satan than we do Jesus. Here, he said, I will. Lucifer willed. God said, uh, omnipotent God said, no, sorry. It's not going to go that way. And so he cast him out of his heavenly office. But Satan, as often, 
He did not go alone or quietly. He took as many um, little fiends with him and pulled off a mutiny that engulfed one-third of the angels. Folks, heaven had a church split. One-third of them. And I'll tell you what, God is a perfect leader in a perfect situation, and yet when Satan gets in, boy, it was a terrible thing. But when they did that, not only did the demons, but Satan himself sealed his destiny. Look what it says in Jesus, what Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 41. Then shall he say unto them that on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Now listen to this. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not created by God for humans. God made hell for the devil and his demons. If a person ends up going to hell, it's because they have rejected the free offer of salvation. And if you're in hell, my friend, and for those of you that might be listening, if you end up in hell someday, know this. You, were an in, you are an intruder. You're an outsider. You weren't meant to be there. In this cancel culture that we live in, they often smear evangelicals saying, we try to scare people with hell. Well, it may surprise you that in the Bible, you know who talked about hell the most? It wasn't some Old Testament prophet. Do you know the person who talked most about hell in Scripture? In fact, mentioned it specifically over 12 times. None other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. He was the one who taught most about hell. In fact, many of his messages included a warning about hell. Why would Jesus do that? Because he was a loving Savior. He doesn't want people to go to hell. Because it's a terrible place created for the dragon and his demons. Look at verse 4 now. Back to Revelation 12, verse 4. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be lit. So she's about ready to have a baby. By the way, thank the Lord. We're grateful as a family. Uh, John and Ruth Ridge uh, had a bouncing baby boy. He's a big guy. Henry, uh, this week, and he's doing good. But can you imagine? Ready to be delivered. And this dragon is just watching that woman. And the minute she delivers, he wants to devour the child. Folks, a graphic warning here. But I will tell you, this ugly, nasty dragon wants to eat the baby. That's literally what it's saying here. He wants to devour the child. Now, this is nothing new. That's exactly what Pharaoh commanded in the book of Exodus. He said, kill the children. That's what Herod said. In He said, kill the children. You know, it is, it is always the goal of people who hate God to kill children. I say that again. People who want to kill children just born or unborn, they are demonic. That's why you have to wonder about a governor who says, everybody in America, come to our state and we will let you kill your babies. Well, it's a tragic thing. But you know, this has started early in history. Tucked away in a little New Testament epistle, 1 John chapter 3. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because of his own works were evil. Notice very graphically it says that Cain, who killed his brother Abel, was inspired to do so by Satan. Why? Because Abel was the godly seed. He would bring forth a Messiah. Satan was used to uh, 
used Cain to kill Abel, the godly seed, because he wants to rule. He wants to kill and devour the child. In modern times, it's been no different. During the Middle Ages, France and Germany blamed the Jews for the Black Plague. The year Columbus discovered America, did you know, 1492, in that very same year, the nation of Spain drove every Jew out of the nation. During the, uh, during the Inquisition, the uh, English church terribly slaughtered Jews uh, falsely in the name of Jesus. In 1882, in Russia, they committed massacres of who? The Jewish people. And, of course, we all know, really not that long ago, just several decades ago, frankly, the Holocaust in Europe, known uh, where Hitler killed six million Jews. And I will tell you, folks, it will be no different today. Iran, the Hamas, they hate the Jewish state. They hate Israelis. And they would eliminate them. In fact, if you look on an Arab map, Many of them don't even recognize. They don't even have Israel there. They do not even recognize it as a state. That's why all these American assemblymen and senators that come from foreign countries and Muslim countries, they don't want all that. They don't want to even recognize Israel because Israel is God's chosen people. But in the tribulation period, God is going to protect them from the fighting of Satan. Look at verse 5. She brought forth a man-child who ruled all the nations. Despite Satan's effort, the Messiah was born. And in Isaiah chapter 9, it wasn't just a child. A son was given, the very Son of God, more than a child. Thank God for our Savior, Jesus Christ. There are two things I think we learned from this passage today. And that is that Satan is anti-Jesus and he is anti-Jew, anti-Semitic. That's why I love Jesus and that's why I love the Jews because Satan hates them. Well, let's go here uh, for the third thing we see. Not only is Israel favored by God, not only is Israel fought by Satan, but Israel is facilitated, saved, protected by mercy. Thank God for the mercy of God. Were it not for God's mercy, Israel would be consumed in the tribulation period. But they will be saved. They will be taken care of. Why? Look what it says in verse 6. The woman, Israel, fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there two, a thousand two hundred and threescore days, three and a half years. Folks, if you think it's bad, the violence and the hatred today, and if you think it's bad for Israel today, you just wait until that day. You can expect a ramp up and all the things we're seeing today is just a ramp up of what's going to happen during that time. But God graciously will take care of them, just like He did against the Syrians in Joash's time, Second Kings chapter thirteen. And the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them. The king of Syria was going to destroy a nation, but God had respect to them. Why? Because of His covenant with Abraham, Isaac. And Jacob, and he wouldn't let him be destroyed. That's God's blessing. Verse number six in Revelation 12 the woman fled into the wilderness. What wilderness are we speaking of? Probably the wilderness of Moab, Ammon, Eden, just east over in the 
side of the Jordan River around the Dead Sea. Many biblical scholars believe it's probably going to be that red rock city known as Petra. Petra, because of what Scripture says. That particular place, it's interesting because many Christians actually have actually stashed Bibles in the crevices and in the places of Petra. Because this is perhaps the place where Israel, many of the Israelites will flee. They will seek refuge there. God will protect them. But God, whose mercy endures forever. What's going to happen then at the end of the tribulation period? Well, Romans chapter 11 tells us, it says, all Israel will be saved. The greatest revival in the history of the world when everybody will, that hasn't died, uh, they will be able to receive Jesus Christ and they will receive Jesus Christ as Savior. What a miracle that God has protected Israel all these years. From 70 A.D. when Titus came in and destroyed Jerusalem to 1948, the land of Palestine was ruled by 40 different nations. Today it is under Israeli control. And since 1948 to the present, there have been five national wars. Israel won all five. The story is told of Frederick the Great, the emperor of Prussia, and he once asked a court chaplain, he said, would you give me the greatest proof of the inspiration of Scripture? And the chaplain said, that's easy, my emperor, the Jews. The greatest defense of the Bible's inspiration is the Jews. Israel is God's yardstick. It is His blueprint for the world. In the book of Matthew, Jesus said this. He said, keep your eyes on the fig tree. Israel is the fig tree. And He said, when you see it begin to bud, you know that coming is soon. And Jesus is coming soon. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.